done in 2021. And we mentioned the fact that people have resolutions. This is the time of the year. People make decisions. Well, it's too late now. You already started the year. So, I don't know. Maybe you already started and you already, you already blew what you resolved to do at the beginning of the year. Hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. And hopefully the next few weeks and maybe for the whole year, if you made some good decisions, you're following through. But this, mor- this morning, I wanted to share with you um, a, a, a list of resolutions that a gentleman had. And uh, it was a gentleman that God used in a great way to bring revival to New England years and years ago. His name was Jonathan Edwards. And he had a, a resolution list. In fact, I have them up for you here today, the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Let me share the first one with you. The first resolution was resolved men should live for the glory of God. Then his resolution went this way. Resolved that whether others do or not, I will. And that was it. And quite honestly, that's enough. That would be a tremendous set of resolutions for you to have for the coming year. To know that, look, it is the job of all men to live the glory of God. And then whether do or not, I will. May we have that kind of heart and attitude as we look into God's word this morning and see what the Lord has to say about, well, living for the glory of God. His will done in 2021. Let's pray. Father, we need you to open our eyes to understand wonderful truth from your word. I thank you, Lord God, for um, the word of God, which gives us exactly the resolution that Jonathan Edwards made his own, that all men should live to the glory of God. And then, Lord, I thank you for men like him and others throughout history who have made the determination that they would, whether anyone else does or not, that they would live to the glory of God. And may that be our prayer today. I ask you, Lord God, to stir our hearts from the word today as we look and see the life of Jesus Christ. May our hearts be touched this morning with the great need to live life to the glory of God, or to have the heart's attitude that says, His will be done. And I will thank you for what you'll do. Lord God, if you don't meet with us today, then our time will be wasted. So we ask for your power, for your help, for your presence to be known in a very real and special way. Please use your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparation for today, I had intended to look at some challenging verses that express how we can fulfill God's will in the coming year. But the more time I spent looking in the Bible at the will of God and looking at what the Bible has to say about God's will, the more I realize that where we have to start if we're going to have a proper perspective on having God's will be done in our lives is really where Jesus Christ lived and how Jesus Christ lived. In fact, uh, it was interesting to me as I went through the Gospels and started to look at verses that have to do with the will of God. By the word, the way, the word will is found a lot of times in the Bible, you know. I still got work to do. I'm not through them all. A lot of them don't have to necessarily do or or don't say anything per se about God's will in a sense because the word will is a word we use a lot. 
are a number that with and share that God has a will. And that God wants us to do certain things. And as I was going through, especially the Gospels, I was touched recently with the fact that, that Jesus Christ was greatly concerned about this very thing. And so this morning, I had intended actually to start into a three-point outline. That it's going to be a series, I guess, because I know I can't preach three points in 40 minutes anymore or 50 minutes anymore. So uh, I was going to start preaching on prayer, practice, and proving, because all those things are very important to the will of God. And you're going to find out in the coming weeks if you're in the services, all right? You will find that to be true. In fact, if you come tonight, you'll find one of those to be very important. And I hope you will come tonight to find that to be the case. But as I was looking through this subject of God's will, um, I, we have to, well, it's got to go with alliteration, right? So I have prayer practice improving, and I was going to start into those, but I, I decided we're going to call it the pattern this morning, and we're going to look at Jesus Christ. And I want you to see his heart, his attitude, his mind. Now, I have you in Philippians chapter 2 for a reason. You say, well, pastor, you said you looked at the Gospels. Yes, we're going to look at the Gospels. We're going to see Jesus Christ and what he has to say about the will of God. But in Philippians chapter 2, what we find before us is a challenge for Christians this morning. In verse 5, where God says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Back at the beginning of this section, when we read right in verse 5, we find the words and the message that's so important to us today as we look at the life of Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was the mind of Jesus Christ? What was the heart of Jesus Christ in regard to the will of the Father? You will find it interesting if you go through the Gospels that Jesus often spoke about that matter. Sometimes very specifically said, the Father's will. At other times, he just indicated by his wording that he was going to live life, if you would, as, as Jonathan Edwards says, to the glory of God. That is his focus. That was his life. And so, uh, let's look this morning and let's begin uh, by actually going, you say, we already begin. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. You say, that's not the Gospels. I know it isn't. But we, if we're going to start right, we've got to understand where Jesus' attitude began. In fact, before he was ever born, do you realize that David wrote in Psalm, I think it's in Psalm chapter 90. I do have it written here in my notes. Sorry, Psalm chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, that David wrote uh, words that were true of Jesus Christ. Many times he wrote passages that looked prophetically at the coming Savior, at the coming Messiah. And that was one in Psalm chapter 40 in verses 7 and 8. And he said that Jesus Christ or the Messiah would come for a reason. You know, will, will of the Father. 
Notice, if you would, what Hebrews chapter 10 says. You say, uh, well, Psalm 40 couldn't have been Jesus Christ. Yes, it was. In Hebrews 10, we read these words in verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Now you say, well, what is that about? Hebrews is all about Jesus Christ. Hebrews is all about what Jesus Christ accomplished by his coming to this earth and dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And Hebrews chapter seven or chapter um, 10 here, excuse me, in verse seven, it shares an Old Testament prophecy. Guess which one? Psalm 40, seven and eight, where David said, God said, I come to do thy will, O God. And in this passage, we realize that was written of Jesus the Christ. And so if we're going to understand Jesus and his attitude toward the will of God, you know we got to understand that Jesus, before he ever came to this world, was already set on doing the will of the Father. And that his entire life was centered on this very fact. The will of the Father needs to be done. And that was his attitude, that was his heart, and it is seen through the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, take a moment, if you will, Luke chapter 2. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the will of God. He came to live for the glory of God. He came to honor and glorify God. And this, again, was not something that happened late in his life. It wasn't just right at the cross where Jesus said, okay, I got this job to do and I'm willing to do it. No, he came for the very purpose of fulfilling the will of God. Hundreds of years before he came, it's told, after he came, it looks back and says, this is what Jesus Christ did. He came to do the will of the Father, and we see through the life of Jesus Christ that he did that very thing. Chapter 2, and there's a reason why I do. Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, is actually sitting and speaking with the doctors in the temple. The story is told very early in the life of Jesus Christ. And uh, he, was, he was doing that, not in defiance to his parents, but he was doing that when his parents had left for home. You know the story, don't you? Mary and Joseph, a few days after they've been traveling back home, you know, look around with the crowd. I guess they, they thought, you know, oh, by the way, you always count, right? You always count. Yeah, you always count. You want to make sure you got everyone, you know, when you go somewhere. Well, Mary and Joseph weren't good at counting, I guess. And uh, so they had on their way home, they turn around, they look and they don't find him. So they turn around, they go back and they find Jesus Christ in the temple. He's, he's confounding the doctor of, of his day. You know, he's about, he's 12 years of age. And what did Jesus Christ himself say? Look in verse 49. And he said unto them in Luke chapter two, how is it that you sought me? In other words, you know, why, why were you looking for, why were you worried about me? Why did Jesus say that? Well, look at what he says there. Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? I love this because we often think of the life of Christ fulfilling the will of God as we look at the cross, as we look at the later part of life. But his entire life was focused on doing the will of the Father. So that as a 12-year-old in his home, he was subject to 
know why he was subject to his parents? Because that was the will of the father for his life. Do you know why he was in the temple at this point? By the way, not disobedient to his parents, because his parents, I guess, didn't tell him. You got to go with us now. Must not have, because Jesus obeyed. He would have been subject. He was about his father's business. His entire life, he came for the very purpose of fulfilling the father's will. And from that, you and I can learn a lesson. No, here's the truth. No one has written about you hundreds of years before you ever came and said, your job is to do the will of the Father. I understand that, okay? There is no prophecy about you that I know of. I don't know. Maybe some of you have had prophecies written about you before you were ever born. I understand completely that Jesus Christ was very unique and that Jesus Christ's ministry and life was different. But I do know this. I do know that Jesus, that God knew Jesus in him before the foundation of the world. And I do know from the word of God that God has a plan for the life of every Christian. In fact, he has a plan for the life of every individual, even outside of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that is? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So even lost people, God has a will for. His will is that they come to faith in Jesus Christ and then that they would grow in Christ. God's will for those who are part of the family of God this morning is laid out for us. It's laid out for us in his word. God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan not just laid out in the word of God, but God has a plan for our life in all areas of our life. And if that is the case, just like Jesus Christ, then you and I need to be about our father's business. You and I need to be concerned about the fact that there is a work for me to do and that God has something for my life. It's not just 2021 where God has a will. God has a will in 2022 if, if we make it that long and if he tarries his coming. And, well, who knows what's going to happen in the coming year. Uh, he had a will this last year for you and for your life if you were part of the family of God. And he's got a plan for you today. The question is, will you focus on it? And the question is, will you have the attitude of Christ that says, God's got a plan for me, and I'm going to fall in line with that. I've got to be about my father's business. Do you remember the slogan they used to have for the army years ago? It was, I'm going to be all that you can be. Oh, yeah, in the army, yeah. Okay, you're, I shouldn't have done that because you'll be singing that all day now. Oh, Where's Brother Ross? He was putting songs in my mind yesterday. It's just terrible. So now you've got a song in your mind. There you go. That was just for you, Brother Ross. You won't be able to forget that one, I know. But you know that the Army, um, those responsible to our country came up with a new slogan. They changed it, and they changed it because of, get this, millennials. They felt like they them with, you know, the old slogans that I guess don't work anymore. So what it is now is, I don't even know if there's a song, probably not, an Army of One. Probably heard it, maybe you haven't, but that's what it is now, an army of one. Um, someone was musing about this new focus, and they were concerned. Because, think about it, I'm an army of one. Is that fitting? And does it work in the army? Seriously, do you want someone next to you who has the attitude, I'm an army of one? So someone thinking about this said this. Imagine some guy in bed when the call uh, Reveille comes out in the speaker system at boot camp. 
And this recruit turns over in his bed and, and keeps sleeping, ignoring the call. So the officer comes in, the officer, and he begins screaming at him, get going, get up. And the man says, I'm an army of one, and this individual doesn't want to get up right now. We got a problem, right? Later, another soldier, he's going to be sent overseas, and he's given, you know, appropriate dress. He's, he's you know, different things for the men to do. And, and, and so he looks at the dress, and he says, I, I'm an army of one, and I feel like I would look better in basic blue rather than these drab military outfits. His point is well taken. The army can't have a bunch of people who are doing what they want or what they think or that they're an army of one who come in and lay aside themselves and do what they're commanded to do and learn what they need to learn so that they can go and serve and work together to accomplish great things and provide freedom for the country in which we live. Am I right? And yet today we seem to be catering, even in Christianity, to this mindset, I'm an army of one, and all that matters is me. And what I think is important. In fact, preachers even preach that way. And the focus of many today is, well, we have Christian liberty and we're free and we, we cater to a self-centered focus of life. One that promotes, this is, you live the way you want. You're an army of one. And, and God says, follow me. And Jesus Christ patterned for us. I mean, as a 12-year-old, but even before he was ever born, he patterns for us this attitude that says, I've got a work to do for God, not for me. And I'm going to accomplish that work. I came for that reason, and that is my job. And that is the heart that God wants us to have as well. And no, you and I are not sentenced to, to die on a cross for the sins of the world. We couldn't do that anyway. He's the only one who could fulfill the will of the Father. And that's why his uh, sacrifice was perfect and sufficient. And that's why you can't do anything to win salvation. Because there's no way for sin to be given except by the shedding of blood. And it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus did that. But Jesus' attitude was, God has, the Father has a will for me. And from day one... I am going to be doing that. I am resolved I'm going to live for the glory of God. I am resolved I'm going to do his will. And if others do or, or not, doesn't matter, I will. So he came for the very purpose that he was going to do the will of the Father. And he wasn't an army of one. He was a, a, a selfless one who was willing to do exactly what he was called to do. But we don't only see that in Old Testament prophecy and then looking back at the life of Christ and seeing that his entire life was focused on this and his purpose in coming was for that very reason. But we find that Jesus Christ in his lifetime was consumed by it. Not only did he come to fulfill the will of God, but he was consumed by the will of God. Now you say, well, where do we find that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because there's a verse that you and I are going to memorize, and we already read this morning, or we, yeah, you read this morning because you don't have it memorized yet. John chapter 4. Take a moment and look there if you would, because you don't have it memorized yet, and if you do, wow, that's a good job. Maybe that's your resolution for this year. Great. Would you come up here and quote it for everyone? All right. I didn't think so. All right. <laughs> do. All right. That is a wonderful thing. 
But let's go and let's look at the story. In John chapter 4, there's this woman uh, who comes out to get water uh, at a well. She comes out at a time when none of the other women came out. There's a reason why. is because she was an adulterer. She had uh, five husbands, and she was with a man, and it wasn't her husband. I know in America that's not a big deal these days, but it, it was a big deal then, and it should be a big deal to anyone because God intends for a person to stay with their, their mate for life. That's God's plan. That's another message for another time. But anyway, this woman comes out, and Jesus happened to be there. You say, well, well, why was Jesus there? Well, he was there because he must needs go through Samaria because he was doing the will of the Father. Because his whole life was focused on this matter, and, and, and because he came for the purpose of doing the will of the Father. And there was a woman who needed Jesus Christ, and there were other people in that city who also needed to be saved and become part of the family of God. So he's there. But you know, his disciples were there, and quite honestly, if his disciples, before the woman came, if the disciples were still there, it's very possible he would have never, ever had a conversation with this woman. But they were hungry. Understand that, don't you? Been traveling, you're on the road, and, and uh, I mean, you've been riding camels before, you know, you get hungry, no, you know, walking, whatever. Anyway, they're hungry, so they go into the city, because Christ sends them there to buy meat, or to get something to eat, and Christ stays, and as he stays, he starts, strikes up a conversation with this woman who comes to get water, and he shares with her the most wonderful news that anyone could ever hear that he has living water that he could give her that would satisfy her thirst for eternity, that she could have eternal life, that he could offer it to her, that he was the Messiah. That's ultimately what, what was, was the conversation was all about, and that he could meet her needs. And she said, sir, give me this water. She wanted to have eternal life, and she got it that day. The Bible tells us she went back into the city. She told all the men in the city, which is no wonder, probably the ladies wouldn't have had anything to do with her, told all the men in the city, I want to share with you, I want to tell you about a, a man who's told me all things I ever did. And I believe he's the Messiah. Why don't you come here? A number of people got saved right there and then through the testimony of a woman who knew nothing more than he's the Messiah. I believe it. And you should too. A bunch of people uh, start to come out. And in the meantime, the disciples had come back with food. We read these words. In fact, since we're trying to memorize them, let's, let's see what verse, well, we'll start in verse 31. Would you read verse 31 through verse 34 with me? In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have me to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Look, Jesus Christ didn't just come, and his life wasn't just a, a pattern. Jesus Christ, my friends, was consumed with the will of the Father. You say, well, how do you mean that? And, and, and what was Jesus Christ saying? Well, let me explain. Have you ever been doing something that was so fulfilling, so satisfying, not about everything else? 
Sometimes I get that way. Sometimes I get that way in the office. Uh, and my wife knows because usually I'll call her a little bit before, before lunchtime. Well, because I'm, I'm start, not because I'm starting to think about food and that makes me think about my wife, I, you know, but because I just do that. Sometimes she doesn't get a call. And it could be for a few different reasons, but there are times where I'm just so into things, I'm so into the work that needs to be done or what I'm doing, or if there's message preparation, I'm so into it that I'm not even paying attention to time. You ever been there? Have you ever done where you're just, just so focused on something? Uh, and it's usual to want food, to long for it, to stop what you're doing. It's time to eat. But sometimes you can be so into something that you're not, you don't even regard the fact that you're hungry. You don't even think about the fact that, hey, I haven't eaten for a long time, and it's late. Wow. How did I get so lost in thought? How did I get so lost in this work? How did I get so... All right, then relate that to what's being shared here. Well, did, did someone bring food? No. No, I haven't had a thing to eat. But I'm satisfied. Because I have meat to eat that you know not of. Well, what was his meat? You know what really? Fully satisfied. He was consumed with this. He was just doing the will of the Father. And he, when he did it, it met all his needs. That is pretty powerful, isn't it? Think about it. I don't know about, I don't know about you, but guys should be able to understand this. You know, when it's time to eat, there, there, sometimes I do get lost in thought, but that is not often. Yeah, it's time to eat. It's time to eat. Come on, let's, let's, well, let's just, let's just finish this, my wife might say. No, I'm hungry. It's time to eat. Now, sometimes I push on and do it anyway, but, you, you know, I'm a guy, and guys say, hey, it's time to eat because I am hungry, but Jesus Christ gets satisfied just doing the will of the Father. So much so that he didn't need physical food. A preacher explained this passage thus, and I wanted to share it with you. I thought it was good. He said, under the commonly held concept of a balanced life, Jesus was often out of balance. He was criticizing those people who talk, well, how God wants us to live is a balanced life. He said, Jesus Christ was out of balance. If you look at Christ's life, if you look at what Jesus did during the three years of his earthly ministry, he was out of balance all the time. He didn't have proper balance in his life. He didn't have everything laid out just perfectly and everything else. No, his life was totally out of, out of balance. He missed meals. He worked long hours. He seemed to have a lot of short nights. We find Jesus getting up early to pray when he probably could have used sleep in Mark 1.35. He spent 40 days praying and fasting to the point that the angels had to minister to him. And yet... As we read through the Gospels, we don't get the impression Jesus was ever pressing, that Jesus was ever hurried, that Jesus was ever worried or concerned, that Jesus was ever bent out of shape because he didn't get sleep the last night. No, we don't find that at all. He said, staying to note that it was not the disciples concerned about 5,000 who were hungry. He wasn't out of balance when he didn't have a balanced life. How did Jesus decide when it was time to minister and when to rest? 
preacher said, his statement in John 4 gives us a clue. Jesus and his disciples on the way from Judea to Galilee were tired and hungry. They stopped in a small Samaritan village. In his needs in order to lead an adulterous Samaritan woman to the living water. As his disciples joined him by the town well, they were concerned about his need to eat, but he wasn't. Christ responded, as we just read, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus determined, listen to this, when to eat and when to abstain, when to work and when to rest, seeking his father's guidance. Christ was not to achieve some balance, if you will, but to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father consumed his life entirely, and it directed everything he did. As I thought about what he wrote, as I read the passages, I thought about the amazing statement of Jesus Christ that my meat is to do the will of the Father, that he could be satisfied without eating, he could be satisfied staying up all night and praying. I've asked myself the question, does God's will consume me like that? Am I so concerned about what the Father wants that I would give up a meal so I could be a witness to someone Am I so consumed with what God wants for my life that I would stay up all night and pray? I'm so consumed with the will of God that I'm just interested in doing what he wants me to do no matter what it requires of me. And am I so consumed with it that I would be satisfied in doing it? and not meeting my regular, normal wants and physical desires. Does anyone find that extremely challenging? You see, we can talk about how Jesus came to the will of the Father and how we need to have that attitude. But when we get to John 4 and we see this statement, it is, it is just searching to ask ourselves the question, Am I so consumed with God's will that nothing else is important to me? That it's what he wants that is far more important than what I want. And, um, and can I and will I find the satisfaction that God wants me to have? Oh, that was just one example. Well, it's a tremendous example, isn't it? But if you want one, turn to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, in verse 30, uh, Jesus Christ said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Well, why could Jesus say his judgment was just? He said, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. All right, so Jesus Christ could say this, I am always just in my judgments of people. Never have I made a wrong judgment. Wow, that is amazing, isn't it? People make judgments all the time, and, and, and let's be honest about it, we make a lot of bad judgments about people. First impressions, you know, and other things we've already decided about someone because, well, you know what? Because, well, that's how we see it. 
But Jesus Christ, he didn't seek his own will. He didn't, what do I think about this? His, his judgments were always based on this. What does the father want? And what would the father say? And what does the father think? Now, this is a great message and a great for those of us in life who have to make judgments. Because we do have to make judgments, you know. You have to make judgments to choose the right kind of friends in life. You have to make judgments to avoid the wrong kind of friends. Make judgments of people all the time to make decisions about if you're going to get involved in or have someone come and do work in your house. You, you make judgments about whether you think they'll be honest and whether to do a good job or not. Am I right? We have to make judgments all the time. Wouldn't it be great if we made judgments based on what the Father wants? Because the truth is, we'll make far better judgments of people if we base it on what the Father would have than if we base it on what we think. The truth is, a lot of times we have wrong opinions for another time because we have preconceived ideas rather than God's ideas. And we judge people unjustly as many. My judgments are always right. Because my focus is, I want to do what the Father wants me to do. So he could look at Zacchaeus and go to his house, even though he was a sinner. Because he knew Zacchaeus had a heart that was ready to hear and receive him. And he was more than willing to go and sit with sinners. And quite honestly, the Pharisees wouldn't do in Jesus' day. And they mocked him for it. His judgments were always right because he was consumed with what does the father think? What does the father believe? What does the father want? Are you willing to do, to be fair and honest and do exactly what the father would wish? You know, if that was the only place we see Jesus consumed with the will of God, we might, no, I don't think we could argue that it's not important. But turn to John chapter 6 now. And there's a wonderful truth about salvation in John 6 and verse 37. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me. Say that last phrase with me. I will in no wise cast out. Let me tell you the greatest news that you could ever hear if you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven and you're part of the family of God, and it's this. If you come to Jesus Christ, he will receive you. He won't throw you out. Isn't that good news? You know, it doesn't matter how bad a sinner someone is. It doesn't matter uh, the things that someone has done in life. It doesn't matter what someone's history and past is like. Like the woman at the well who had five husbands and was living with a guy then. No, that didn't matter to, to the father. Anyone that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. What a wonderful truth. And it's a, an important truth. The fact of the matter is all mankind is undeserving of salvation. And all mankind are God's enemies because we're sinners. And because of our sin, we deserve wrath from God, judgment from God, deserve lake of fire that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. We deserve God's judgment. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life, talking about a future date when God judges all mankind that are, that are lost. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a judgment for sin, and all men deserve that. But Jesus Christ said this, I know you're sinners. I know you're, you're God's enemies. You're the enemy of the Father. But anyone that comes to me by faith says, I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you took my place. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you are the one sent from God to provide the way of salvation and that your death 
your burial, your resurrection is sufficient payment for my sin. And I believe that anyone that comes that way, Jesus accepts them. Isn't that great truth? Have you? Have you come to him? Are you part of his family? Look, can you say this morning, I've come to him. Now, if you can say that this morning, then God didn't shut the door on you. That is great news. And you say, well, what does that have to do with the will of the Father? Thanks so much for asking that question. Look at the next verse in verse 38. Here's the reason why he doesn't cast anyone out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And you know what the will of him that sent him was? That all that would believe would have eternal life. That all that are willing to accept Jesus Christ would have eternal life. And so Jesus said, I will never cast anyone out that comes to me. No one that comes to me and says, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe that you are my savior. No one will Jesus turn away because he does the will of the father. He's consumed with that. His entire life is all about doing the will of the father. And I am thankful it is. Because if it isn't, I mean, he would have left brother Farrington out. I know. Well, he would have left me out. And he probably would have left some of you other rascals in this church out as well. And that's not, not just the guys either. But thankfully, my Savior was so consumed with the will of the Father that he turns no one away that comes by faith. Isn't that great to know? So then, shouldn't we be as consumed with the will of the Father? Shouldn't we be as consumed with the will of the Father about the judgments we make? Shouldn't we be consumed about the will of the Father, about sharing with people the good news of eternal life so they can be saved? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be so consumed with his will that we're willing to sacrifice even personal wants because what is best for and what God wants us to do is most important. He came to do the will of God. He was consumed with the will of God. And then we find... He was committed to the will of God. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Backwards, I know. We can find this same statement or a statement very close to it in Mark 14 and in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will, was consumed with the Father's will. It consumed his every waking morning moment, and he was committed to it. And we find that in this wonderful passage in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, goes out to the garden. Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus kneeled down and prayed, and he said, Father... If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If you want to take the time, there is great discussion among the writers exactly what Jesus meant. I think it's a waste of time. If you want to argue exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about, more power to you. 
we don't have time to discuss the deep meaning of Jesus Christ when he made this statement. But what we do have time to share with you is that Jesus was committed to the will of the Father. And that meant even to the death. That meant that he'd be willing, which I think was the greatest part of his, his sorrow on the cross, to be, if you would, separated from the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, for all eternity, the Father and Son had always been in perfect union. Always. But there was a short time, the only time in the existence of the Father and the Son, the only time where they couldn't be in complete communion because the Father had to turn his back on the Son. And the reason why is not because the Son deserved it. It's because he willingly bore my sin. And Jesus Christ said, okay, Lord, Father, I don't want this. But that's what's necessary. Your will be done. How many things in this past year have you said, I don't want this about? I'd rather not have this. I'd rather not face this. I would wish I, that I wouldn't even have to use the word. Every time someone coughs, they must have COVID. That's kind of the joke we have now. I wish we don't even have to talk about that. Wouldn't ask for it. Don't want it. But the Father has given it. So, will we accept it and do what's right? I don't want what's going on with churches in America. Do you? But if the Father has chosen to put us through a time like that, not my will, but thine be done. That was the commitment of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I will. I don't want to be separated from you, Father. I don't want to, if you would, humanly go through these things. But not my will. But thine be done. The song goes like this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene and wonder how he could love me sinner, condemned, unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. It's a beautiful message, isn't it? Do you know how the second verse goes? For me it was in the garden he prayed. Not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. How committed are you to the will of God? 
It was 1925 when Betty Stam said these words, Lord, I give up my own purposes and plans, all my own desires, hopes, and ambitions, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all of my friendships. All the people whom I love are to take second place in my heart. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Work out thy will in my life at any cost, now and forever. For me to live is Christ. Amen. That was her prayer. Nine years later, December 8th, 1934, Betty and her husband, John Stam, laid down their lives for Jesus Christ, killed by Chinese communists. And such has been the story of many throughout history. We can read of people in Hebrews chapter 11 whose lives were taken because they were committed to doing the will of the Father rather than their own will. And and have a problem making a decision to go to church. And we have a problem and get all bent out of shape and wonder what we're going to do if churches are told they can't open. Look, the will of the Father sometimes takes great commitment. I am extremely grateful that I have grown up, I have in my entire life been in a free country and haven't worried about the, the wonderful privilege and blessing and, and even, haven't even thought about it many times as I ought, of being able to just gather with God's people freely, preach the word of God and share with people their need for Jesus Christ. We have enjoyed the wonderful bounties of heaven as our forefathers have written. And if our path next year leads us to be thrown in prison for opening the church doors, we need to be committed to that. Not my will, but thine. Be done. Father, it's not about me. I'm not going to ask to go to prison. I'm not going to get up and... uh, make announcements outside that says, we're gathered together here, come and arrest us. But I am determined that I'm going to do right. You should too. And if that means prison, if that means death, not my will, but thine be done. The life of Jesus Christ is a wonderful picture because if it weren't for that willingness, you and I wouldn't be here today. Someone was came for, was committed to, was consumed with doing the will of the Father 
you are saved because of it. And now, that same one says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We say, his will done in 2021. Nice, catchy statement. But it needs to be our life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.